You know, it seems that to me, everywhere I've gone recently, every time I turn around, it seems like I hear about um, or encounter another marriage that's, that's in trouble. Uh, people who are struggling, and, and you know, it runs the gamut, everything from, you know, we're just getting on each other's nerves and it's just driving me nuts, to, you know, our marriage is blown out, maybe they're already in the process of going through a divorce by the time you hear about it. But marriages all around us are in trouble. And God has a lot to say about that. And so I wanted to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about marriage. I want to talk about God's instructions for a healthy marriage. And, you know, when I do that, I run a couple of risks, right? Uh, The first risk is, I know, you know, some of you aren't married, right? And so you're sitting there going, great, this this isn't for me. I'm, uh, I'm going to start doing my emails and uh, you know, catching up on Facebook and whatever. So how many of you are married? I'm going to just raise your hands. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a lot. Keep your hands up. How many of you know somebody who's married? <laughs> okay, so those of you with your hands up, I'm talking to you. Those of you who didn't raise your hands, go ahead and finish your text messages and, and whatever, whatever you need to do. But if you are married, you need to hear God's principles for marriage. If you are not married, but you know somebody who is, you need to understand what God says about marriage because we're, we're surrounded by people who are struggling, who are having trouble, who, don't, who aren't implementing all that God has. And if you can speak into their life, if you understand those biblical principles and you can come along and support them, you can be used by God to help restore and to help heal those marriages. So that's the first risk. Um, the second risk is I know that there are people here who are already divorced, people here who are in the process of divorce, people who are remarried, people who are remarried into blended families. It runs the whole gamut. And I just want you to know that this morning is not about what's happened in the past. This morning is not about you know, judging anybody and what's happened or condemning anything that has happened in the past. Today is about understanding God's principles for marriage so that as we move forward, we can implement those and experience what God has for us. And the third risk, you know, you guys are my friends, right? I mean, we talk. And so the risk is, as I talk this morning, you're going to say, he's talking about me. I've heard this story before. He's talking. No. So I just want you to know, I'm not talking about you, okay? <laughs> it might sound a lot like you. But it's not you. It's just somebody who sounds a lot like you, okay? So just, just so that you know, I'm not talking about you. But, you know, as we, as we go forward, I mean, it's important for you to understand. I mean, I'm not a marriage counselor. I am not a counselor of any kind. I am not even a pastor. Uh, so the only thing I've got is my own experience and scripture. But that's what I want to share with you this morning. And I can honestly tell you, um, we've been married for a little bit over 30 years, and we have seen God just do great things in our marriage. And I can, I can really tell you that we are as in love today as, you know, our marriage is as strong today as it's ever been um, in 30 years. And um, I just, I, it's just 
by the grace of God and by the principles that he has in his word, um, I can stand here and I can tell you that. But hopefully what I have to share will, will kind of get to you and, and help you and encourage you and maybe even work some healing into, um, into what you're experiencing in your own marriage. So um, with that, let me just pray. And Lord, we just, <clears throat> this topic is too big. It's too important. Um, I can't do it justice um, if I had all day. So, Father, we're dependent on you. I just am dependent on your Holy Spirit. Help me to bring your word clearly. Um, and, Father, I pray for each person here that they would receive your word. Lord, the Bible's clear that none of us can understand anything in your word unless your Holy Spirit illuminates it to our hearts. So, Father, we pray that your Spirit would come upon us this morning, that you would illuminate your scripture, that it would have the desired impact, and that our lives would be changed as a result of your word this morning. Amen. So I want to share with you five principles of a healthy marriage. Now, there's a lot more than that in Scripture, but these are the ones that I just kind of gleaned onto and some of the ones that I've kind of, kind of just embraced over the course of my life and, and have been really helpful to me. Uh, principle number one, seek the higher purpose. We'll call it that, okay? Um, somebody said, we only live lives as big as we think possible. We only live lives as big as we think possible. And I think that's true. Uh, you know, I mean, you guys didn't come here for like your, your daily minimum dose of Jesus, right? Right? I mean, you didn't, right? You came here because you want to live a big life, right? You want to live an important life. You want to live a life that impacts the world, right? And that's why you're here. Nod. Yes, yes, that's why we're here this morning. And I believe that that same thing is true in marriage. Your marriage will only be as big as you imagine it. It can only be as great as you imagine it. And God has great things for our marriages, great things in store. You know, um, I grew up with no mom. My mom died when I was three. My dad never remarried. Um, my grandmother was divorced, my aunt was divorced, my cousin was divorced, my sister's been married three times. I never saw a marriage growing up. And I'll tell you, when I was in high school, I wasn't a Christian, and, and I just thought marriage was stupid. I mean, I thought, why would people get married? I, I, just, I didn't understand it at all. I fully expected I would never in my life be married. Um, and I went in with that expectation, but I became a Christian later in, late in high school. And when I went off to college, I met somebody who became a mentor to me and ended up teaching me really everything that I knew about marriage. I can honestly say, when I graduated from college, everything I knew about marriage, I learned from this one person. Right? He had a tremendous impact on me. And about a year after I graduated, Jan and I got married. And he married us. And I don't remember much of that day, I don't know about you guys, but it's just it's kind of a blur. But I do remember one thing. I remember the, the theme of his message to us. And the theme was, seek the higher purpose. He said, there's a lot of good things about marriage. You know? I mean, there's companionship, and there's children, and there's all these nice things about, about marriage. But there's a bigger purpose. God has a much bigger purpose in marriage. Seek that. Seek that. Go after that. And... <clears throat> So as I have kind of moved through my life, I've tried to remember those words. Ephesians 5 says this 
And we'll dig into this for some of these other principles too. In Ephesians 5, we're gonna camp here for a little while. But the general gist is this. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He died for her. He cleanses her. He washes her with God's word. And then Paul is kind of off into this, this area where you don't know if he's talking about the relationship between the husband and wife or between Christ and the church. He's kind of lost in the bigger picture. He says the husband cares for the wife as Christ cares for the church. He then talks about the husband and, and leaving their parents and, and being joined together, and the two become one. And he says this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that, that Christ and the church are one. I mean, it's like, wow, it's like, what's he talking? Is he talking about Christ and the church? Is he talking about the husband and the wife? I mean, what, he's just kind of going back and forth between these things. And I'm not going to pretend that I understand this. Um, but, you know, even the sexual relationship between the husband and the wife is an illustration of the intimacy that Jesus has with his church. The whole marriage relationship is an image, it's a, it's a, it's a living, breathing illustration of Christ's relationship to the church. It's bigger than anything you can imagine. And God wants to do great things in it. The reason for marriage is not just to have children. It's not to have a nice life together. It's not to be fulfilled. You know, sorry, 20-somethings, but you are not gonna be fulfilled in your life by finding the ideal spouse the ideal husband, the ideal wife, doesn't exist, okay? You're gonna be fulfilled in your walk with Christ and your marriage is designed to be a neon billboard sharing that with the world. I don't understand, again, how all that works, but I've seen it. I've seen people married for 20, 30, 50 years where Christ is honored in their marriage and as you look at it, you say, I want that kind of relationship, those were the things that helped me in my marriage when I was young and, and struggling and, and trying to figure this thing out was seeing people like that where their relationship was an illustration of Christ in the church. And I've seen that and it attracts me. And I said, what a platform to be able to say, yeah, you know, we do, we love each other, but you know, it's just an illustration of what Christ does um, for us. Um, we're in the empty nest stage of our life right now. A lot of our friends are getting there too. And what I've seen is that a lot of them get the kids out the door and they look at each other and they say, who are you? I don't know you. And they spent so much time raising the kids and they invested so much in, in that child rearing stage that they don't even know each other. They don't have a relationship anymore. They haven't built this, this team of co-partners laboring for the gospel together. You know, I think of um, Roland and Patricia as such an example of this, right? I mean, they got like eight kids between them and yet their focus, and they love their family, but their focus is on their partnership in the gospel together. And you see that in their lives and you see Jesus illustrated in them. And it's a great example of what, understanding the bigger picture, understand the greater purpose in your marriage. So how do you do this? You have to seek God together, okay? Guys, this is kind of on you uh, as, a, as a leader in the home. Seek God together. It has to be authentic. You can't fake it. 
that has to be real. You have to have a genuine relationship with God and this one flesh relationship uh, with each other where God is at the center and you see your purpose as reflecting the glory of God. This is the biggest thing, principle number one. If you don't understand the higher purpose, marriage just becomes just kind of a bunch of the day-to-days. So seek the bigger picture, the higher purpose. Everything flows from this. The second principle, I'm gonna call this love and respect. Okay, this also comes out of Ephesians 5. And he talks about being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5. And then he moves on. He talks about the results of being filled, in the, filled with the Spirit. One of those results is that you will be subject to one another. He says this also in Philippians 2, where you're to consider one another as more important than each other. And then he goes down into the specifics and he says this, For you wives, this means be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. As, Christ, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And in verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and clean. Now, I know this whole like submission thing is not real popular in today's culture, right? And you kind of you bristle at, at the idea. But there's a couple of things that are important to understand. Number one, this, this command to submit is given to everybody, okay? Everybody is to consider others as more important than themselves. And the second thing, I want, want to kind of dig down a little bit. I looked into the, this word, okay? And I, I looked this up in the Greek. Now, I don't speak Greek, I don't know Greek, I don't know anything about Greek, but I can look stuff up in a concordance with the best of them. And the word here is hippotasso. Hippotasso, the, the thing you wanna understand is this is a, what we call a reflexive verb. We don't have these really in English, okay? Now I don't speak Greek, but I do speak French, and that helps sometimes, because they have reflexive verbs. And a reflexive verb means something that you do to yourself, okay? So in French, if I go for a walk, I, I literally, I take myself for a walk. If I get up in the morning, I get myself up in the morning. It's something that you do to yourself. This is a reflexive verb. This is saying, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. This is not saying, be submitted. Husbands, guess what? This is not to you. Verse 22 is not addressed to you. Um, ignore it, okay? Um, it's, not, it's not your verse, okay? None of your business. Wives, <laughs> submit yourselves voluntarily to your husbands. He's not saying be submitted. It's not being, be subjected by somebody else. This is something that you do voluntarily. Submit yourself. Consider him as more important than you. Guys, we'll get to verse uh, 25, and you can focus on that one in a minute, okay? Um, <clears throat> But the other thing I know is this verb, this, this word to, to be submissive, to, to submit to. Um, it has a lot to do with the word respect. How do I know that? Well, if you look at the next paragraph, Paul summarizes this whole chapter and he says, so to summarize everything that I just said, husbands, love your wives like you love yourself and wives should respect their husbands. Okay? So that's what he's really getting at. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, um, <clears throat> women have, uh, they're complicated, like, <laughs> guys. And, 
And they've got all of these different love languages and things, right? So like for some of them, their love language is, is receiving gifts. In other words, others, it's words of affirmation. and others, it's, um, you know, whatever, physical touch or, um, you know, doing things for them around the house, you know, helping out acts of service, things. Like they got all these different love languages, right? Guys, we just want one thing. Well, maybe two. But what <laughs> guys want respect, okay? What a man needs, women, is respect from you. It's the one thing. And, and you know, so I looked this up. Again, I hope you are, walk away with a lot of Greek this morning. Um, the word for respect here is, is phobeo. You know, and a lot of, what I find is a lot of women go, okay, I'll respect him as soon as he earns it, right? As soon as he earns my respect, I will give him my respect. And phobeo is kind of an interesting term here, the word that Paul uses for respect. Uh, it's used, it, it really means to be in awe of, to revere. It's used other places in Scripture. And in 1 Peter 2.17, it says, fear God and honor the king. The word here is phobeo. Okay, like you would bow down to the king. That's how you're supposed to treat your husband. And Revelation 4, 7, 14, 7 says this, fear God and give him glory. The word is phobeo. Women, you are to revere your husband, to, to have awe for your husband, to revere and respect him like you would revere and respect God. Now, guess what, ladies? He will never earn that. Okay? Paul is saying you are to do something that he will never earn in his lifetime. Okay? So this is not about giving him respect when he earns it. This is about giving him respect. Period. Okay? So what is respect? You know, it takes a lot of, a lot of different forms. We don't have time to go into all of them. But, you know, I was thinking... Um, just in terms of building, building your husband up, you know, um, instead of tearing him down. I see so many times when, when women will, you know, and, and sometimes I mean, he's right there, right? It's just like, you know, he is so fill in the blank, you know. He never gets home on time. He never helps with the, with the housework. He never takes care of the kids. He's just, he never wants to do anything fun, you know, and He's standing right there, right? And, and she's tearing him down. And Ephesians 4.29 says this. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for building up. He says there's two kinds of words. There's two kinds of vocabulary. One that builds up, okay? And one that tears down. The unwholesome words are those which tear down. He says, don't do that. Don't tear him down in private or especially in public. It's a no-win deal, ladies. He will either get angry or he will withdraw, both of which are bad outcomes, okay? There's no, nothing to be gained by tearing him down. Let no unwholesome word, tearing down word, proceed from your mouth, only that which is good for edification. And then affirm him, build him up. That's, that's a way to respect him, you know, my wife gives me, I said I wouldn't do this, but my wife gives me so much respect that I feel guilty. I mean, literally, I come home and she's making dinner and I come in and I, I offer to help and she will usually say something like, why don't you just go get comfortable, sit on the chair, 
turn on the basketball game. She knows my love language. You know, <clears throat> and, you know, I'll let you know when dinner's ready. And she's, you know, what she's saying to me, I got to tell you, I mean, that makes me feel so good. What she's saying is, I value your work. I understand that you've been working all day, and I value that. And, and that, that just that makes me feel so good, you know? Um, and I want to then, in turn, serve her more, right? Because she has respected me. Now, the reality is, most days, she works a lot harder than I do. But you would never know it because she honors me, she respects me, and, uh, and she affirms me and builds me up. And um, I, I'm just telling you, it, it works, and it's, it's a good thing. We have a friend, uh, a couple of friends who... Um, this guy's a hard guy to, to live with. I, I, don't know how, I don't know how she lived with him as long as she did. She still lives with him. But you know, he, he's just a difficult guy, difficult personality. And she actually, she got together with Jan and a group of, uh, of lady friends uh, for a weekend. And she shared with them that for the last year, she had been squirreling away money in what she called her divorce fund. She was getting prepared to leave. And she was just about ready to go. And the ladies kind of rallied around her and they spoke some wisdom into her life and they cared for her and they loved on her. And she ended up through, through some counsel and, and through some time with God, um, deciding that she was going to just honor and respect her husband, whatever that, whatever that took. And so she started doing that. She started taking care of him. She started like just, just treating him like a king and she started giving to him and submitting to him. And and it was really hard for her at first. I mean, she was, had one foot out the door, right? Uh, but as she did that, the most amazing thing happened. She started to love him more. She started to rekindle feelings towards him as she was serving him. It wasn't anything that he did. But as a result of that, he then began reciprocating and showing love towards her. And it's been, it's been probably three or four years now and their marriage is stronger than it's ever been and um, I'm just a testimony to, to obeying and she just said look I understand I'm going to do what God says even though I really don't feel like it I'm going to do it and um, it was amazing how God worked healing in that marriage as a result well husbands let's talk to you men love your wives as Christ loved the church um, and of course, this word is agape. It is an unconditional seeking the best interest of the other person. Colossians uh, 3 is a, is a parallel passage to Ephesians 5. In Colossians 3, it says this, Husbands, love your wives and never treat her harshly. I love that. You know, I've seen so many instances of men treating their wives harshly. Uh, just that the words that some of these guys use is just, I just cringe, you know, when I, when I hear some of the things that men have said to their, to their wives. It says, never treat her harshly. I mean, isn't the Bible practical? First uh, Peter 3, 7, it says this, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir in the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, ladies, don't get all tweaked out about, you know, this uh, being a, called a weaker vessel, okay? The, the, the image is this. It is, a, it is a piece of fine china. It is a vase, which is a, a work of art that has infinite value. 
And it's fragile, and you need to take care of it. You need to take care of it well. You need to protect it because it is so valuable. That's the imagery here. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a just incredibly valuable piece of art. And grant her honor as a fellow heir in the grace of life. Now, you know, in ancient cultures, women were not heirs. Women were property. Women belonged to their parents, and then they belonged to their husbands. They were not heirs. They could not inherit property. This was a radical thing. Paul says, treat her as a fellow heir, as an equal, a fellow heir in the grace of life. And why? So that your prayers won't be hindered. Guess what God says? If you do not, if you speak harshly to her, if you do not live in an understanding way, if you do not treat her like a valuable thing as a, as a joint heir in the grace of life, God is just not interested in even hearing your prayers. Isn't that a powerful thing? Guys, love your wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificed for her, did everything for her, Principle number three. So seek the higher purpose. Love and respect. Principle number three. Leave and cleave. Okay? This principle has gotten, gotten us through a lot. It says, Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. King James says, cleaved to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And again, I... Went and looked this up in the, the Greek and the, and the Hebrew. And, um, you know, the word, the, the Hebrew word means uh, this. It means to cling uh, to, to adhere to, to be joined to, to stick to. And the Greek word has the implication of, um, of glue, okay? So it's like be glued together. Leave your parents, leave your father, leave your mother. Be glued together, super glued together. You're stuck together there as one flesh. Um, Timothy Keller says, be very careful that nothing comes before your marriage relationship or it will introduce a tremendous misery and pathology into your life. This verse speaks to the primacy of the marriage relationship, that the marriage relationship needs to become above everything else, needs to come before the relationship to your parents. It needs to come before your relationship to your children. It needs to come before your relationship to your work or any other, or your friends or any other relationship that you have. That marriage relationship has to be the number one relationship in your life. Or as Timothy Keller says, it will introduce tremendous misery and pathology. Um, Tim has a great saying, you know, he says, uh, God did not put a parent and child in the garden. Think about it. He put a husband and wife. That relationship is the most important relationship. So what can get in the way of your spouse being the number one? Well, he, he mentioned obviously parents, leaving your father and your mother. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But what else can get in the way? I mean, you can love your career more than you love your spouse, right? And if you do that, you're at risk of losing both. You can love your children more than you love your spouse. Anybody here know somebody who loves their children more than they love their... No, don't raise your hands, please. <laughs> we all know those people, right? And it's not healthy. It is not the way God designed it. Um, and, you know, this is the biblical principle, guys. And biblical principles bite back. If you 
break them, they will break you. I know people who have valued their children so highly at the expense of their spouse, and the spouse feels like just a third wheel. You know what? The children will not grow up to respect you in that. And you run the risk of losing both your spouse and your children. The thing that kids need more than anything in life is parents who love each other. They will feel more secure knowing that their parents love each other even than knowing that their parents love them. Okay? So do not let the child relationship take precedence. Don't be those people who wake up and go, who are you once the kids leave the house? Okay? Uh, build this thing together. Make that the primary relationship. If your career comes before your spouse, you're in trouble. If your children come before your spouse, you're in trouble. If your, if your friends come before your spouse, you're in trouble. If your parents come before your spouse, you're in trouble. In particular, this talks about the parents. I mean, I see, uh, you know, there's, there's different ways that people don't leave their parents, right? Um, there are adults who are married who are financially dependent on their parents. I'm a financial advisor. I know these things. I'm not talking about any of you, okay? But I have clients. You know, I, I think of one. I, mean, I have lots of them that have this problem, but I'm thinking of one. Parents are in their 70s. Uh, their 47-year-old daughter, her 50-year-old husband, and their two teenage kids all live with them. And the daughter has a credit card, which is the parent's credit card, which she racks up a couple thousand dollars a month on. She's 47 years old, and she's married. And this husband has always been, um, you know, the, the, the job is right around the corner. The next deal, the next business thing, it's coming. I, I can feel it. If, you, if I just get a little bit more money here from you guys, um, I, could, I could invest in this, you know. And they've never left. And it's just pathological. I mean, it's just, it's just this horrible situation. And I see that, maybe not that severe, but I see it a lot, okay? When they leave and they get married and they stick together, they leave the parents. They're no longer financially dependent on the parents. They become emotionally dependent. And we see this where people are emotionally, continue to be emotionally dependent on their parents. And they've got to like, you know, run to mom and dad and, and ask their opinion about everything before they, before they make a decision. Don't do that. Make a break. Make a clean break. Uh, leave father and mother. Be cleaved together. The husband and wife relationship is primary. And, you know, if the if you still have these deep emotional ties to the parents that you can't let go of, you cannot build intimacy in your marriage. Okay? If, you know, how are you going to share some, you know, the, the deepest things in your heart if your spouse is going to go run to mom and dad and just, you know, recount the whole story to them? You're just, you're not going to be able to be intimate. So that has to be the number one relationship. Okay? Leave and cleave. There's a couple of other ways that this shows itself. One is in just psychological patterns, okay? So maybe you're not dependent on your parents, but um, there are things that, patterns and such. So um, my father-in-law, hi Jean, <clears throat> Jana's dad is an engineer. He is Mr. Fix-It, okay? He can do anything. He, he just can work magic and he can just take the, he's, like, he's MacGyver. You know, I mean, he can, he can twist these little things and he can make anything, right? Like, I'm a finance guy. I can't use a screwdriver. And so when we got married, I was like, well, just fix it. 
my dad just fixes it, you know? And so these, these patterns where she's expecting me to be her dad, you know, we had to get over that. She had to leave that. Marriage is a fresh start with two new people. And so those old patterns of, well, mom always treated dad this way, and that's how she showed his, her love to him, um, you know, she used to, mom cooked these huge extravagant meals, you know, well, the new wife doesn't know how to cook, you know, get over it, She's, you're not going to get those meals anymore, okay, you leave the parents, and the other way that the parents can, can hold these strings is if, if you're angry with your parents, okay, uh, you know, you say, I am never going to lay a hand on my child. I am never going to exercise, you know, physical discipline on my child because my dad beat me. My dad imposed discipline on me that was just, just horrible, and I hated him for it, and I'm never going to touch my kid, you know? You're being controlled by your parent. Instead of getting together as a team and saying, does corporal punishment make sense? And in what circumstances might it make sense? You're controlled by your parents. And so marriage is a clean break, and it's really important to understand those family of origin things and to be able to, to let them go and to walk away from them. So leave and cleave is a really, really important principle. And believe me, I mean, we know a lot of friends in their you know, 40s and 50s who are still wrestling with these issues with their parents that they haven't let go. So it's not something that's easily overcome, but you gotta leave, you gotta cleave. Um, the last two principles, really quickly. Uh, principle number four, divorce is not an option. Okay? Uh, when we first got married, I mean, we were literally, we were, we were lucky to make it through the first couple of years. <laughs> we really were. Uh, it was by the grace of God uh, and, and, and nothing else. Um, there were times that we were so angry with each other and we just, we just, just things weren't working. I mean, I just wanted to leave. I, and for every time I wanted to leave, I mean, I'm sure, you know, two or three times at least, Jana wanted to leave. Uh, and I was, just, I was just too stupid to know how. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to go. So, so I, I kind of stayed, you know. But my mentors through college had, said, had always said, divorce is not an option. And I was young and dumb, and I believed them. So, I, okay, I guess that's not an option. But I really, you know. And so just knowing that, just, just that principle that divorce is not an option, you know, um, we talked about Genesis where he says, leave your father and mother, be cleaved to your wife. Jesus quotes this in Matthew 19. And he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and the two are united as one. And then Jesus adds this, okay? This isn't in the Hebrew verse. This isn't in the Old Testament. Jesus adds this. He says, since they are no longer one, but two, let no one split apart what God has joined together, right? We've all heard that in every marriage ceremony that we've been to, right? But Jesus was the one that added this as a practical application. If you've left father and mother, if you've been glued together, stay together. Don't let anyone rip that apart. Why? Because Jesus likes rules and he wants you to live in misery for the rest of your life? No, because when you're glued together with super glue, what happens when you rip that thing apart? Neither one is going to be whole, right? You're both going to be damaged badly in, in ripping that thing apart. And that, God hates that. Uh, Ma Malachi 2.16 says, For I hate divorce, says Yahweh, the God of Israel. I hate divorce. Why? Because it's in his rule book? No, it's because that ripping apart. 
It's something that he never designed. Don't let divorce be an option. As don't, don't use divorce language in your homes. Don't say, I want a divorce. Don't say, I'm leaving. Or why don't you just get a divorce if you don't like it? That kind of language tears down a marriage so badly. Don't let that come into play. Don't let divorce be an option. You know, people, our friends recently just, you know, they said, uh, this wife said, well, what, so I'm just supposed to be in a, a, you know, dead marriage the rest of my life? I said, well, don't, those aren't really the only options, you know? <laughs> you know? Get divorced or stay in a dead marriage, you know? We can revive the marriage. It can be all that God wants it to be if we can apply these biblical principles to it. So God wants marriages to stay together. I understand there are people here who are divorced. Again, this is not judgment. This is just, you understand more than anybody the pain that comes through ripping that, uh, that relationship apart. And, um, you know, if, if we can do anything to avoid that, we need to do it. Last principle is just this, and I'll, I'll finish with this. It, I just call it let people in early. And, you know, we had a couple of friends who were, you guys are going to think like everybody that we know is getting divorced or something. <laughs> but, you know, we had, we had these friends, and, you know, they were the perfect couple. Really, I mean, you know, great job, beautiful people, served in the church, taught Bible studies. Uh, they were like everybody's ideal couple until he moved out and started just this, this incredibly ugly, nasty divorce that just ripped them apart and ripped their friends apart at the same time. And underneath this, this image of we've got everything together, the marriage was just, just crumbling and they couldn't tell anybody. They were so caught up in image management and trying to look good and they just let the whole, it just fell apart completely. By the time that any of us knew that there was a problem at all, it was, it was just way too late. And you know, a good friend of mine is a marriage counselor and he told me that in his experience, probably 70 to 80% of people who come to him for marriage counseling come after it's too late. It's like this desperate last ditch, okay, we've tried everything else, we're getting a divorce, but you know, we, we'll go to counseling once and see if they can fix it. You know? um, that's not gonna happen. Let your friends in. Guys, be honest, be authentic. Um, there's no judgment here. We all struggle, right? I mean, relationships are hard. They're not easy for any of us. And, and we struggle. And it's okay, let people in so they can speak into the situation, so they can support you, so they can be there for you, so that they can pray for you. Be honest about it. It's okay um, to be honest. Seek professional counseling. I mean, you know, the old saying, you know, I mean, if, you're, if your car's got this, this loud clanking noise in it, you know, what do you do? You take it to the auto mechanic and you get it fixed, right? But your marriage has got this loud, clanky noise and you go, oh, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll fix it, you know? Um, get some help. Get some help from friends. Get some help from a counselor. Take action before it's too late. I had a friend come to me recently said, you know, I'm kind of struggling in my marriage. I, I kind of need a mentor. I kind of need somebody that can just talk through this with. And, you know, they're not on the verge of divorce. I mean, you know, things are, things are just a little bit rough at home. But 
He wanted somebody who could just who could talk to and could speak truth into his life. And I thought that was such a such a valuable lesson, such an important thing, and something that so few people do early on. Hey, there's this there's this rough patch. Can you help me get through it? And so let people in early. Open yourselves up. Be authentic. Don't be like my friends. It's just you know this image management thing. We do that so much in the church because we think, well, Christians are supposed to have these nice, wonderful, loving, joy-filled marriages and mine's not that way, so I better make it look like it is. Guys, none of us have that marriage, okay? So be honest and, um, and open up. Seek the higher purpose. Love and respect. Leave and cleave. Don't let divorce be an option. And let people in early. There's a lot more the Bible has to say about marriage. But, um, you know, let me just say this. When it comes to marriage, the Bible is not a rule book, right? It's not like, okay, wives, you better submit to your husbands because that's in the rules. Um, it's not, you know, if you get divorced, you know, you're a sinner. You're, um, you know, you're some kind of second-class citizen because you, you've gotten a divorce, um, it's not that. It's not saying, you know, parents, okay, kick your kids out of the house and never help them out with anything again. Uh, you know, it's not rules, right? It's, it's, a, it's the owner's manual. It's, it's there because God designed marriage to be a beacon of light to the community around us. And these principles are so important to implement in our lives because it will give us a healthy marriage that is everything that God designed. I know some of you here, you know, your marriages are in trouble. Um, I know some of you here, you know, your marriages are not maybe all that, that you would like them to be. And maybe, you know, you just haven't been showing love to one another as, as, as you should. Um, maybe you haven't left old emotional ties. Maybe you've been thinking about divorce or even talking about divorce. Or maybe you're just here and you're recognizing, you know, marriage isn't really the reflection of Christ that I want it to be. Um, God wants to heal in all areas of our lives and especially in the area of marriage. So what I'd like to do is, if, if something that I talked about just kind of resonated with you and you said, you know, I need, I need some healing in that area, I'd like to ask you to stand up and, just so that I can pray for you. Um, so this, this is just to say, you know, hey, we need, we need God to do some work in our marriage. We need God to... Um, to give us love for each other. We need God to, to build us joy. We need God to, to heal and to do a work in our marriage. Anybody that, um, that wants that, just go ahead and stand up, and I'm going to pray for you. Just pray together. Father, I want to pray for these folks who are here, um, for those who are standing and for those who are not. Lord, none of our marriages are everything that you designed them to be because we live in a fallen world. But Father, we know that you can do great things and amazing things and you can actually reveal Christ-likeness to our community through our marriages. And so Father, I pray for those who are standing that whatever, whatever the issue is, that there would be healing for them. I pray that they would be able to open up and just talk to some friends, uh, talk to some other people who can speak truth into their, their relationship. And uh, Father, I pray for um, all of us, God, that we would have the marriages that you want for us, that we would be a beacon of light 
in a dark world that just doesn't understand love and respect and leaving and cleaving and marriage being this ultimate, important, God-designated responsibility and relationship. So, Father, as we go today, we give this to you. We thank you for your healing. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.